Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. We have a lot to cover today in episode 32, so I'm going to cut a lot of the formalities and just get right into it. I'm your host, Aaron Batty, and you're on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. I have a special guest on today, Matt Tyson from Waterloo, Iowa. Matt has come on to talk about the stigma of talking about porn in the church. This is a part of a newsletter that I'm going to be starting November 13th. This is 2023, in case you get to this episode late. And I'm going to be asking uh, Matt a series of questions that all has to do in some relation to the stigma of talking about porn in the church. I'm talking about on a public level or even maybe even in smaller circles. Uh, we're going to start off talking about are we finally at the end of talking about or are the end of the stigma of talking about porn in the church? Um, I'm going to ask him also, is, is there benefit to being uh, candid and clear in all things on this subject all the time? Or are there times that we do need to be a little more discreet and use um, less straightforward terminology discussing certain subtopics regarding pornography? Uh, I think very important is how do we create a confession culture regarding pornography specifically? Because if we don't have a, a culture in our congregations where people are comfortable confessing the sins to one another, um, that is going to hamper our progress as we try to attack and defeat this sin as a, as a church collectively. And then finally, when somebody does confess to you that they have a porn habit, how should you react and what do you tell them in that moment? Matt's going to give his answer. Um, I'm going to give some of my perspectives and insights as we go along as well. I think this will be a very beneficial conversation. I do also want to tell you, if you're not aware, you're listening to the podcast and you have not heard about the 30-day newsletter that 5-Minute Bible Study is offering, myself, Aaron Batty, it's going to start November 13th of this year. Uh, after that point, sign up, no more. So sign up now. If you want to sign up, email ambatty, that's B-A-T-T-E-Y, at yahoo.com. Again, ambatty at yahoo.com. You'll just email that and say, please sign me up to the newsletter. The conversation between my, myself and Matt did last a little bit longer than we originally intended, which is not a bad thing. So there's a lot to cover. I'm going to skip the fake commercials and just cut right into the main dish. So without further ado, here's the conversation between me and Matt. Okay, well, we're here with Matt finally, like we had advertised on the podcast. And uh, hey, Matt, welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, my name is Matt Tyson. I live up in Iowa, Waterloo area with my wife, Ashley, and our two uh, little girls, Adelaide and Clara. And uh, a Florida native, grew up in the, the Jacksonville area. That's where I met Brother Aaron at down in, down in the south, where um, there was this thing called sweet tea and barbecue, and two things that I miss dearly. But no, I uh, up here, um, working with the, the congregation up here, uh, with alongside with Brother Michael Bolton, and um, just yeah, glad to be a, a part of this work that you have going on. Yeah, I think that was probably you were. How old are you? I don't remember actually. <laughs> uh, when we met, it was probably man, I don't know, 10, 12, 12, probably twelve, thirteen, somewhere in there. No, I mean, how much? How old are you now? Oh, uh, 31. About to turn 32 this month, actually. Yeah, I thought we were pretty close to the same age. So I'm 30, you're 31. Um, that gives us similar generational views on this topic that we're going to be talking about. Um, today, we're going to be talking about, well, I've already advertised it in the intro to this episode, but uh, kind of the stigma behind talking about pornography. And um, we both have talked about it. Obviously, our, our listeners don't realize... Um, that we've shared our stories with one another, but um, we have both had experiences and problems with pornography in our past. Um, so we, we were able to kind of relate to one degree or another and come together on some some dis discussion points. So I think this will be a good episode if anybody's listening and they've also had that experience or maybe they're just wanting to learn. Matt will be a good guy to, to listen to. Um, and, and you also help other guys as well uh, currently who are going through this issue, right? Yeah, I've been counseling uh, a group of guys and it's kind of 
some have come and gone now, but kind of for about the last five or six years now. Um, right now I've got a kind of an anonymous support group, you might say. I know the guys, but they don't know each other in this particular group. And it's just that way. So people feel more comfortable uh, sharing. And um, But yeah, I think there's eight or 10 guys in that email group. Yeah, that's great. We're, we're actually going to talk about the uh, uh, benefits or downsides of support groups later on in the newsletter. So, um, okay. Well, with that being said, why don't you just take a minute or two, however long you want to tell people, you know, as much as you would want to tell them about your um, background experience in this particular subject. And then we'll get into some of the questions about stigma and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as Aaron, I'm sure as, has prefaced, I'm going to be pretty clear and candid in this episode. So, um, if there are young ears, maybe, uh, press pause until a, a more opportune time. Um, cause this, this conversation may certainly, uh, spark conversation with, with young ones too. So, um, use your discretion, discretion, but, um, so, you know, I, I grew up in a God fearing home and I'm thankful for that. And, you know, Aaron had talked about generations and I think our generation, and I, and I want to say, I don't, I know that pornography has been around for, for centuries. That's no secret. Nobody's denying that, but I will say it is more accessible now than it ever has been before. And, and I've had a couple people that have, have disagreed with that. And I just, I can't see that it's not, um, you can pick up virtually any electronic device and access pornography in a matter of seconds. And I mean, we've just never had that before. So I actually had my first exposure to pornography when I was, oh, mercy, I think I was maybe 11, 12 years old. Um, I was spending the night at a, at a buddy's house from school, and he had a buddy spending the night who had been involved in pornography and was showing us how to access it. I was 11, 12 years old. My parents had never even talked about pornography at that point. And there was this part of me that knew what I was looking at on that computer was wrong, but I didn't really, you know, I was curious. I, I had questions. Um, and so I, you know, was a part of that group looking at pornography that night on the computer and then started going home and sneaking up to my parents' computer and trying to search for it when they weren't looking. It was a lot more difficult back then because they had dial-up internet. So there was a very obnoxious sound when you tried to access the internet. So there, yeah. so I was being discreet about it. And, uh, you know, I don't know what they knew. I've never really talked to them about it since then. Maybe they knew I was, dealing with it or had suspicions or whatever, but I just, I, I never found myself caught and that, that addiction, and I'm saying addiction because it's exactly what it is. It's an addiction. It works in the same neuro, it follows the same neurological pathways as methamphetamines and narcotics and any other addictive material, sugar, uh, addictive material. Um, so it's an addiction and just like tolerances when it comes to, you know, uh, illicit drugs and stuff, um, it, it takes more to satisfy that same craving. You build a tolerance to it. And that was no different for, you know, it was the same thing with me. And I would, I would be willing to say it's probably the same for a lot of guys. It started to become more and more frequent. Uh, my, my searches were, were more and more specific and it took more to reach the same, uh, level of, of, um, uh, you know, I don't know what you want to call it. You know, it just required more to reach that certain level of an interest and involvement. And, uh, it was not long after I had started viewing pornography that I had gotten, I had gotten involved with masturbation and, then that just contributed. They just, they, those two things just fed off of one another. And it was a very, very hard battle. I always knew it was wrong. I was always remorseful for it, but I was also very ashamed of it. And I want to say, as I talk about this, you know, it may not seem like I'm being shameful in how I'm talking about it, but there is a great deal of shame involved in it, and especially in the moment. I knew it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't be doing it. 
I always asked God to forgive me for it, but I just felt like I was stuck. And, 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 and it was so shameful that I didn't really talk to other people about it at the time. And so uh, that continued. And then when I was 19 years old, I got involved in a relationship with a girl that I was going to, I was taking some electives at a public school at the time, got involved with this girl. And that quickly turned inappropriate. Um, this relationship had turned into, you know, kissing and making out and stuff. And it just continued into, into touching and exposure. And, and ultimately I, I lost my virginity to this girl when I was 19 years old. And, um, there's so many aspects as to how pornography and lust and, and, and fornication plays into a marriage. And, and that's something I'm also very passionate about because I've dealt with it in my own marriage. But it, you know, when, when I look at it, it, it took a long time. Uh, the pornography issue even continued into my marriage. And it was something that I had talked to my wife about. And it, it's just been maybe four or five years ago that I can say that, you know, it's, it's not an issue for me. It's, it's not a, a temptation that I give into anymore. Um, and I'm thankful for that, but that doesn't mean the temptations are not there. There are still temptations. There probably always will be temptations. And there's also this misconception that this only affects young single guys. And well, that's a very false, uh, <laughs> a false idea. Um, so my wife, you know, I had told her about my past prior to us even being in a relationship. I was very upfront with her and her family about my past, uh, having been in fornication. And, um, and then I was, I was pretty honest with my wife through a lot of my pornography struggles and, um, and I'm thankful for that, but that's kind of my story. Um, you know, we can kind of explore bits and pieces of it throughout this episode, but that kind of gives you a little bit of a, of a uh, understanding that brother, believe me, I know what you're going through. I understand the temptations. I feel the temptations. I sympathize with each uh, brother or sister that's, that's watching this, that may be dealing with these things. I just, I love you. And, and I know it's, I know it's hard. Well, I appreciate your willingness to talk about that. Um, get past any insecurities you have or vulnerabilities. Uh, it does get easier the more that you tell your story to other people. Uh, I can say that from personal experience. So I, I can also relate to you. I think people might hear you and I talk about it as if um, we we don't have that shame or didn't ever have that shame when we were involved with it. But it's, um, I guess, until you've been in something and then been out of it, it's hard to relate to. Uh, and then you want to help other people. So anyway, still, I appreciate what you're, what you just shared. Um, with that being said, you know, by the time this comes out, I'll have already shared my story in the uh, written newsletter. So I'm not going to get into that now. You know, if you're in the newsletter, great. You've already read it. And if you're not in the newsletter, then let me know if you're listening to this podcast and, um, you haven't heard my background and you would like to. Well, let's just get now. I mean, you've pretty much answered a lot of my questions, so we could just end the conversation now because a lot of it's about stigma related to talking about this, and you pretty much just explained, expressed how you feel about talking about it. So I guess we're done. But uh, maybe now we'll just, rather than saying, you know, do you think it's good to talk about it plainly and all that, um, maybe you can explain why you, you have that opinion, why you're so free about talking about it. And, um, so we'll just jump right into the questions that I had. I had sent you to cover in this, in this discussion. Um, you kind of referenced one element, at least you, you were talking to somebody or you've had conversations with people who don't believe it's a problem for all ages or for married people or whatever. Um, I've also had those conversations. I've met those people. And as a church, speaking of the generational thing, we're in our thirties. I think we're millennials. I think that's right. Yes. And um, and I think that ends right around 32. I'm not going to get into the names of the generations. We'll just use the age groups. So, I, you know, generally I think people um, have a perception that if you're over 40, probably is an upper limit. You know, that's back, if you were 40 
um, if you are older and older, when you were a kid, there wasn't even hardly dial-up internet. I mean, if I'm mistaken, uh, definitely 45, you were strictly were dealing with magazines and maybe VHS tapes that you checked out at Blockbuster or something. So I think people um, perceive anything older than that, they don't have pornography problems today um, because they don't know how to use technology. And if they did have magazine access back then, I don't know, it's just like that was back then and, and they don't deal with it today. And so let's not talk about it because they didn't talk about those things back then. That's just how, how it was. It's why a lot of families, a lot of parents didn't, they were very, um, especially if they were agricultural families, they were very, um, how do you put it, strong exterior and you didn't show your emotions, you know, stop crying, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and they didn't talk about difficult, emotional-laden topics like this because uh, I think it just made them uncomfortable. Their dads didn't talk about it, and so they didn't do it, and so forth. Would you agree? Absolutely, and I don't necessarily know if there's a huge difference between the North and the South in that regard, but I certainly uh, saw that amongst people in my circle growing up. Um, I always say my parents were, I love my parents, and um, you know, they were, they were very willing to have some of these conversations. I assume, uh, there's a, there's a good chance they'll end up seeing this at some point. And so, uh, you know, I, am not saying this because I think they may or may not end up hearing this eventually, but, um, I, I do think it was a stigma and it was probably something that they also dealt with when they were growing up, but it wasn't something that you openly talked about. And, you know, like you said, was that a generational thing? Was that a sociological thing or a, ge a geographical thing? I don't know, but I definitely agree that there are some uh, families that are likely more open to having these discussions than others. Speaking of uh, geography and all that, I mean, you know, that's a, I'm saying limited to, at, at the very least, agricultural Southern families, um, but it is interesting when you look at other cultures, like um, I think it's the Japanese, if I remember from college, very stoic society. And um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, so it, it would be very interesting to know what other cultures, how they discourse in these matters and whether they're hush-hush or not. Some are a lot more expressive, like African-American, a very expressive culture. I would imagine they talk about it more freely. And in, in videos that I've seen of sermons, that seems to be the case. But um, yeah. Anyway, so with that being well, you said, know, you talk about. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say uh, there is a little bit of a delay, so I hope that doesn't uh, uh, interrupt yeah. you too much. But uh, I do know that you know when it comes to to stigma, um, and and we might get into this more in some of. The, I'm trying to look at some of the other questions to see if it comes up. But you know, I think it's important that we realize that you know going to going to speak plain and candid here, but, you know, God created sex as a blessing to a marriage. You know, it was intended to be a good thing. It was intended to be something that brings one another honor and, and, and brings glory to God through that physical union. And Satan, through his attacks on the, the structure of the home and the family and marriage and, and all of these institutions, it's turned it into a taboo thing and something we don't like to talk about. And, and I wish that was different. And I'm not saying we need to be candid. You know, we're being candid on here because, you know, we've both given disclaimers. It's the topic of, of this. It's not like we're having little kids listen that may be sitting in a Sunday morning assembly, that kind of thing. But, but I do wish that, that um, it was viewed more as, as that holy blessing that was a gift by God to a marriage union and not just this dirty, sinful thing that, that, you know, we, we want to not talk about and not mess with. Yeah. You, you brought up just the subject of sex and, and that's true. I've, I've talked on sex from the pulpit on a Sunday morning, but I always feel the need to give a great disclaimer. <laughs> so you're right. We don't just talk about it. Uh, when there much of the Bible um, I'm not saying every page of it. I'm not trying to exaggerate here, but I'm just saying there is much said in the Bible about sex. And I feel like uh, the Song of Solomon did not have a disclaimer. <laughs> Correct. 
<laughs> so obviously, um, yeah, I agree with you 100%. God expected us to talk about this. He expected us to understand it within the proper context. And unfortunately, I grew up kind of thinking that sex was kind of, uh, I don't know, I think I had this perception that it was sinful in and of itself. And I've, I've heard people tell me that same thing after after preaching. I, you know, they, yeah, they, we don't talk about it, and we don't talk about sin, so if it's something we don't talk about, it must be sin, you know? Yep. Well, and, and that's actually a very good point that, you know, I tell my wife and I when we talk about our, our, our daughters, um, you know, one of the things that we, that Ashley and I have decided is we want to be, a reliable source of, of righteous scriptural knowledge and encouragement when it comes to their bodies and sexual things, because we want our daughters to enjoy a, a, a positive um, sexual relationship with their husbands one day, because that is a blessing to their marriage. And I know many, many young married couples in the church that it had exactly what you're talking about. They got married and that was a hurdle to get over was this idea that, okay, yes, we're married. Yes, we can do this now, but there's such this stigma and this, this, this shroud surrounding this, that it feels like it must be wrong. And it takes a while to overcome that for some people. Yeah. And when you don't talk about it, I was just writing about this yesterday. Um, if you don't talk about it and you do have a pornography problem, you think you, you, and I've read this from many men, you start to think that what you see in pornography is normal sexual behavior in a marriage, and it's not. In fact, you get very wild and exaggerated perceptions in your head. And then, um, I mean, I've not had sex. I've not, I'm not married, so I can't speak on this from you, but just talking with men who have uh, and are reading many accounts um, and just using common sense about what things I've seen. This is not God-centered, um, educated from the Bible sexual behavior that you're seeing in these pornographic videos. So it can be very detrimental when you don't hear anybody wise and speaking of it from a biblical perspective, and then all you are getting is a worldly demonstration of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can... I don't know. I, I like that little rabbit hole. I think it was worth having. <laughs> so, so we'll get back to the original question. Um, do you think, in your opinion, that this is a subject that we can actually talk about in the church now on a wider scale? I, I say that because I, I don't think, as of October 11th at 1124, 2023, that this is being talked about on a widespread scale. I've gotten enough feedback from people almost 100 people now um, with the newsletter signups and all that, that this is not talked about. So I take that credibly to say it's not. But do you, are you, are you, at, you think we're at a point where as a church we can um, be talking about this on a congregational level, on a family level, on a brother-to-sister, brother-to-brother level, um, on a more regular healthy basis than we have over the last, let's just say, 50 years or whatever? I, I believe that it needs to be talked about in the church. Uh, I was just thinking the other day that um, I've heard from from several people in the past, and this is like 10 years ago, uh, we don't need to spend so much time talking about homosexuality in the church because it's not a problem for us. Um, Don't know about that. You know, and I think that we're finding more and more that it is a problem. It's just a problem that people aren't willing to, to come out with and admit that they're struggling with it, for one thing. And the other thing is, okay, it may not be a problem now, but it's bound to become a problem. And I think we've seen that as far as homosexuality goes, where we have a generation of people that are growing up now. My children are growing up in the arguments that they face against homosexuality. I mean, they're, they're finding ways to twist Bible passages that you and I have used to, uh, to defend against the, the scriptural home. But now they're finding ways to use those and twist those. And so they're, my, my daughters are going to face a different struggle in that regard. But I think pornography is the same way that I think it should have been talked about a long time ago before it's become the issue that it is now. And so 
we can't we can't change the past, but I do believe that we need to to, to we need this moving forward. We need our brothers and sisters uh, to know that look, we all understand that this is a temptation, and and we want to give you all the tools that we can to to help one another through this. Um, I, I absolutely think that there's value in being clear and candid. I mean, censored when needed and and sensitive. Uh, when needed, but still open and understanding that this is a major issue that the that our brothers and sisters are facing in the church. Yeah, I agree. You do need to use uncommon sense when uh, discussing this, and I call it uncommon sense now. Maybe there was a time where it was common, and uh, and <clears throat> I also think too. You know, we're thirty. Um, we're just now realizing that we're pretty stupid. Ten years ago, we thought we were really smart, and maybe maybe now we're just coming into the realization that we're we're not so smart as we thought we were. Um, you know, I think it's one thing to ask, say, let, let's just give a mock example. It's one thing to ask a twenty-year-old to speak on pornography or especially sex. You know, at a young speakers meeting where the church is gathered, he might not have the same discretion about, you know, how to say and approach this topic soberly. And that's just by the nature of being 20 years old. And that's nothing against any, any 20 year old. Um, but man, if, if the older brethren in the church, especially those that have had, had struggles with this, if they would speak from a place of wisdom and, and of course they're going to have the ability to be more sober and use discretion about it. I think people would don't have to worry about it being, um, becoming an an uncivil conversation, then, man, that would be the great thing. But the problem is I don't think you see those 50-year-old, 60-year-old preachers talking about it as much because it is true. I think many of them did deal with pornography in magazines and stuff, but the the way that pornography distribution has changed in the last 10 years with high-speed internet and personal phone, cell phone, smartphone use, um, it's really our generation that is at the beginnings of that um, change in distribution that we're kind of the ones, me and you, the 30 year olds, 35 year olds that are really kind of, um, talking about it now, I, or I feel like would be more willing to talk about it. You know, the other thing about talking about some of the older preachers, you know, they did deal with pornography. I, I believe that I said older preachers, I meant older Christians, um, you know, many, many people across many generations have, have had, had their own struggles and battles with it. You know, now I was reading an article the other day, uh, from, oh, his name just slipped my mind. Ah, Richard, uh, I can't think of what his name is now, but anyway, he was talking to a man who had come out of the pornography industry but um, was trying to straighten up his life. And he was telling about how pornography is different today. And when you visit a pornographic website uh, over and over and over, and it doesn't matter if you're incognito or not, it still tracks you. That's a myth that incognito doesn't track and, and all that kind of stuff. It absolutely does. It starts to pick up on the videos that you watch and then it searches the common meta tags and stuff in those videos to start feeding you the specific things that you find most interesting. And, and that is even like, that's taking a temptation and just giving it fuel and, and just, you know, it's just completely different now with, with the internet and, and the way Satan is using that. Absolutely, and I'm trying to find now on the uh, schedule for the newsletter where I'll be talking about this in more depth here. Let me see. Um, I'm going to be talking about, like, on day 13, micro-stimulations, which I'll explain what I mean by that, um, which plays into all this. Um, On day 10, about dopamine, and day 14, about social media. And those three things together um, feed into what you're talking about. We could have—I mean, you're talking about AI, artificial intelligence, and um, algorithms and stuff. I mean, that would—that would be another day. I just don't have enough days. But yeah, all that together, it has revolutionized porn distribution, like I said before, and 
taken the temptation to a level that we've never seen before in our society. And so that's why, because most people that are over the age of 40, they don't understand AI. They don't understand algorithms. They don't understand social media. They don't use them. They don't comprehend how different it is than the statue of David in Florence, Italy, that's, you know, butt naked. <laughs> you know, that kind of porn that they dealt with back in the first century. Yeah, they had porn, but it is just not the same. It's a different animal. Mm-hmm. Yep. I saw the statue of David from Florence just the other day, and that's a, that's why it was on my mind. <laughs> uh, never did understand those statues. <laughs> either. That's art, supposedly. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, that's one of the, I say myths, that's one of the lies that culture has fed for so long that if it's if it's done with creativity then it's art it's not flagrant lust and sin well getting off on a on a little tiny rabbit trail you had a uh uh uh, church of christ college not too far from where you live that had pornography in its art program and they did it defending it as art and that we don't, we shouldn't be raising people up to be afraid of expressing themselves in art, whatever form that may be. There's a big scandal about it. You can find it online pretty easily. I will look that up. Thank you for sharing. Well, um, I guess more than answering the question, and I don't know there is a straightforward answer. Um, I think we at least, we've addressed the idea that it needs to be talked about and it can be talked about. And, and that, that'll lead us into our, just kind of our next discussion point. Um, do you think that there's benefit to speaking in a concealed manner about certain aspects of this subject? Um, or is there a benefit to being clear and very candid? Well, let me give you an example. Like you, s- um, you, you talked, you used the word masturbation a minute ago. Um, the word's already been used. It's very uh, prevalent that in some literature, um, it should just be called self-pleasure. Um, so that that's one example. And there are other examples too, like um, I'm not going to get into them. So with that being an example, go ahead. I I, I understand what you're saying, and, and I do want our, our listeners to know I would, I would probably never you know, use terms such as masturbation from behind the pulpit. Um, at least not, not in this time. I don't know. I mean, stuff like that's kind of social norms a little bit. I don't necessarily think it's right or wrong scripturally. I just don't think it would be very acceptable with, with among mixed crowds, mixed ages. Um, and that, that, I don't know. I don't know that I've got the, the wisest answer for that. So I think as far as your question goes, I think when there are avenues to help people understand and feel that they that they can be open with the temptations they're dealing with, and if I can help give them that feeling by being clear and candid about it in our conversations, then I'm going to do that um, when it's appropriate. Um, but there's certainly times that I don't feel it would be appropriate to be clear and candid per se. I just think, I I don't think any of this stuff are things that should be avoided. It just may require a certain level of, of discreetment or, or uh, discernment on, on how to approach the topics. Yeah, I agree. And, and I agree. I don't know, maybe there's not, and I don't plan on using that word from a, a sermon in the pulpit myself either. Um, I think maybe an example that came to my head is using just social cues, uh, reading the room. You wouldn't tell a joke at a funeral. Like you wouldn't go up to the casket and, and tell a joke to the family that's standing there. Um, now maybe people do that, but that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Uh, just read the room. But, you know, like in this podcast, we're talking about this subject. I feel like the people that are listening to it um, they're probably the majority of them. They're dealing with the issue, maybe, and they want to know because I've had I've had several. Man, in the last two months, I've had so many conversations where a brother asked me about is masturbation a sin, whether it was a message or whether it was a phone call or whatever. 
that subject came up and, and they're looking for answers on that particular subject. Well, um, you got to be pretty clear and candid when you talk about that so we know we're not uh, confusing one another and we're, the other person understands. And there's also not much information scripturally. There's not many scriptural answers, articles that have been written on that subject. So, um, and so these brethren are left in the dark. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're wanting to justify what they're doing uh, or they're, they're wanting to um, quit what they're doing, but their, their flesh is, you know, wanting to lie to them. You can add anything to that. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, um, you know, I do think it's important to, you know, in, in my weekly newsletter that I send out to these guys, I'm clear, I'm extremely candid. I mean, well, I basically am on, on here with you as well, because I, I feel like in that platform, in that audience, it's uh, welcomed and expected. Uh, that's not always the case in, in other areas. I think of uh, an example, like a real life example that happened to me one time. Now, again, age may have played a factor here, um, but I think I was 17, 18, and I was teaching at church, and I was asked to teach at a congregation um, where I was visiting, and I uh, talked, I, I mentioned, I just mentioned homosexuality. <laughs> and I, I don't even know to what extent... But um, I mentioned homosexuality, and afterward, there, I, the, the older lady in the church did not come to me, but she it came back to me that she had gone to one of the leaders and told them how inappropriate it was that I mentioned that from the pulpit and that I talked about it. I, I, did, I honestly, I was not crass about it. It was, it was a pretty tame mention. Um, that, was, that was 15 years ago, let's just say, or 12 years ago. There are members in the church that still have that same mindset. Um, I think it is something that we're, we're not past stepping on some toes, and we do have to still um, definitely be careful about it until people can get past those little hurdles. Mm-hmm. Well, um, all that kind of leads us right into talking about confession and and I've used a phrase with you. Um, I don't know where I got this phrase before, but it's the idea of confessing confession culture. How do we create a confession culture, um, spe- like in general, but specifically in relation to pornography? Because it is such a stigmatized thing. Um, I actually just had I had a, an older lady in the church just ask me the other day as I'm talking about this newsletter. Um, she said, "Is this?" is this really something that is a big problem in the church? And she, she was in disbelief. I mean, she was in disbelief, and, she, and, it, and it bothered her greatly that there are so many men. And, and I told her, I said, when I was a teacher, you know, I was teaching at church when I was 20 years old, and I was looking at pornography, and she, she was in disbelief. You know, and um, yeah, I think that, that was, that's sad that that's true. I was a teacher, and I was having great difficulty with this sin. Um, but I also didn't feel like I could confess it to anyone. Now that was on me. Um, but there's different things that play into that. And part of it is, I think that plays into it is this disbelief that a Christian could possibly struggle with this sin. That's part of it. But I'll stop answering the question and let you give your swing at it. What do you think is the key to promoting a confession culture? Let's start there. Let's start with with this uh, sister in the church that didn't realize how big of an issue it is. Because I think that's, in my opinion, that's the first place we got to start. I found some statistics I'm going to read here. Um, 92, and I'm going to speak candidly here, another disclaimer. 92% of American men masturbate. 78% of all adults masturbate. Um as far as men goes, Pure Desire Ministries conducted a survey among uh, self-proclaimed Christian men and claimed that 68% of these men viewed pornography on a monthly basis or more. Now, we have to keep in mind, too, these are only the people that were honest 
and it, who number one partook of the survey results and number two were honest. Uh, I told you the other day, James Dobson was quoted as saying 99% of all males admit to having been addicted to masturbation at one time. The other 1% are liars. Now, we talked about that, and you know, I, I think, if I had to guess, he was not being serious, but I do 100% agree with yeah. his premise that a large number of men and women uh, deal with these things, and just because somebody says they don't, I, I lied about it. If you'd asked me 10 years ago if I had a problem with pornography, I'd have told you no. And I'm ashamed of that. I'm, I'm deeply ashamed of that. And that was wrong of me. And I want to encourage our listeners to just be honest because that's how you're going to, that's how you're going to get break free of this is by being honest, being vulnerable, confessing your sins. And we'll talk about here in just a minute, a little bit more of that. Um, you know, and I believe that when we're not willing to face the issue of pornography and sexual sin as a church and being open to this and, and working towards this culture confession that we're no different uh, than the Israelites when Goliath was there uh, challenging them. You know, you've got this big monster, but as long as we hide in our tents and we, we pretend he's not there, we're, we're not in danger. And I just think, you know, yes, it's more comfortable to avoid the topic, but until we leave our tent we decide that we're going to face this big, hairy, scary monster. It's not going to go away. Goliath came back and came back and came back until he was challenged. And you just, you, you talked about just a minute ago, how many people you've heard um, that have been dealing with this. I've heard like you over the years, dozens and dozens of people uh, that have, that have uh, struggled in these issues. And if you think if that one in 200 uh, number is true, then that's still many men and women that you and I know that are struggling and dealing um, with this. And um, as far as confession culture goes, you know, if we claim to love and care about our brothers and sisters, then we need to work towards a culture that is okay with vulnerability that is okay with with uh, confession and 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 openness and help one another through that. I always say, why should I be judgmental towards my brother or sister uh, uh, regarding these things? Because at least he's strong enough to admit his struggles in an area that most of us likely struggle with anyway. It, it, to me, it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I believe that that building that culture is important. I, I'm. I've got a couple of passages here I wanted to look at. These are familiar passages. James 5, verse 14 through 16. The New King James says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing, with him, uh, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise you up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses. To one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then uh, another common one, 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Those passages kind of allude to forgiveness, um, but I really appreciate when James says, confess your sins, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. That means that you and I should be praying for one another in the areas that we individually struggle with. And that can only happen if I know the area in which you struggle. And so I want you, you, Aaron Batty, or my brothers-in-law, or my brothers in Christ, or, or the other important men or or women in my life, um, I, I say men. I think it'd probably be uh, more effective and and a better situation for women to find other women to seek counsel of in these areas. But but the men specifically, I want them to know that they can come to me. They can call me. They can say, Matt, I'm stuck. I'm I'm a slave. I'm I'm trapped, and and I I need help. I need prayers. Dude, I'm going to stop what I'm, gonna, what I'm doing, and I'm going to pray for you, because I love you. And, and that's what the Bible teaches us to do. And so, you know, I just really think that 
we need to realize how big of an issue this is. You and I both know of, of men in the brotherhood, preachers in the brotherhood who deal with this issue. And in my opinion, in some of these issues, because it wasn't dealt with early on, it's led to families that are destroyed and reproach upon the church. Whereas if that brother would have been comfortable, and like you said, it is on that brother. It is on me if I choose not to to lean on my church family, on my brothers and sisters. But perhaps if we had a better culture of being open in some of these issues, perhaps some families would still be together today because we could have nipped things in the bud before it grew into big hairy monsters that they are today. Yeah, and I wasn't going to share this. I was actually going to share this in one of the written pieces of the newsletter, but I'm going to share it now because it's appropriate. You mentioned preachers, stuff like this. Um, a brother and told me this, and he said I could share it. Now, I'm not sharing names. I don't even know the person that said this. I, asked, I, I said I was better not knowing it. Uh, a brother told me he was a preaching brother, and he called up another older preaching brother, to tell him that he had a problem with pornography. Now, I don't know if he was the first person that he told, but it doesn't matter. Uh, he told him he had a problem with pornography, and this older preacher told him, he said, do not tell anybody that you have this problem. It will destroy your reputation. And thankfully, he did tell somebody else he had a problem, and he was, uh, I, I was very proud of this brother, the, the younger one, <laughs> for for seeking help and being being willing to risk his reputation is what he was being told. This is ridiculous. And um, that's, I'm certain, not the only person that is giving that piece of advice. It, it's just, I don't know why people think, like, you know, I don't know if you know about hostas. Hosta is a, a outside plant. I've learned about them the last few years. I have some. I've gotten into a little bit of uh, planting flowers and stuff. But they do really well in shaded areas. They don't do well in the sunlight. And if you can get them in a moist, shaded area, those things will take off. And they will proliferate into more plants. And that's how sin is. When you leave it in a moist, dark environment and nobody can see it, and it's just you, it takes such deep root and it spreads to more sins. And not telling anybody for the sake of reputation does you absolutely no good in the day of judgment when you have to give account for every single word that we you spoke, Matthew chapter 12, and everything that you did. And it is just not, it's a pride issue sometimes, and that's what it was with this advice that was given before. I care far more about somebody's soul than I care about their reputation. And the ironic thing is that, uh, truthfully, you know, un until you've confessed, you don't realize this, but most of the time, um, and it, it may be depending on the sin, but I feel like, especially with pornography, in my experience, when you confess and you're willing to open up about that, people have more respect for you than they did before. Because they know, because so many people struggle with it, and they're like, wow, he's doing what I can't do, or I won't do. And then the people that don't have a problem with it, they at least realize this is pretty difficult to talk about. I'm, you know, I appreciate that person for saying that. Mm -hmm. We have got to, as, as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to realize, um, which this, this kind of goes into uh, the next question, I'll tell you now. We have to realize that when somebody's dealing, we all have temptations. We all give in to those temptations. We all make that choice from time to time, and we can be thankful for forgiveness where the Lord sees repentance. However, we all deal with temptations. When it comes to pornography and, and, and these other masturbation and things like the fornication, any sexual sin, Satan is only using the temptation that he knows I'm more susceptible to, uh, maybe more so than you or, or the next person, but that's my temptation. That's what, what I'm, that, what I struggle with. And Satan is trying to use that out, out of hatred towards God. Satan hates God because he knows what's coming for him at the end. And the, and, and he knows he can't get away from that. 
But what he can do is he can hit God right in the heart. And he can, he can do what he can to hurt God by ripping away those that he loves. And that's what Satan's doing when he's tempting us, is he's trying to get us, he's using us as bait out of a hatred towards God. And, and we need to realize that there's a battle that our brothers and sisters are fighting. And, and we need to love them and help them and, and, and help them with accountability and help them with encouragement and and beat beat these temptations together as a family. I agree 100%. And I like the way you just described dev- the devil's um, motivation. I think that's right. I am going to share a quote on 5-Minute Bible Study probably today or tomorrow, later, but um, it's about confession culture. And um, it's really focusing on the idea that I, I believe that to build that culture within a congregation or within a group of people, it starts with the leaders that everyone looks to. Uh, because sheep follow shepherds, and if a shepherd's not confessing, the sheep aren't going to confess. Why should they? They don't. They've not been taught. Um, and if if our leaders, our elders in the church, our evangelists, our deacons, um, our older women that are looked to for influence and teach younger women, if if they would see that confession of vulnerability, then they might duplicate it. But too many times people are worried about reputation. They're worried about position um, or, or just their out, outward appearance. That they're just not willing to confess. And I say that because, <laughs> yes, I've done that. So I'm not saying that I'm better than everybody else. I've, I've, I've been there where I didn't confess because I was worried about my reputation and all of that, how people would react. Well, you know what? I think what it comes down to is, well, first of all, accountability. You, if you're struggling with pornography and masturbation or sexual sin, brother, I'm telling you, you need an accountability partner. You need somebody in the church that you can be vulnerable and open with. When we're done with this podcast, I've, I've got uh, a couple of the guys on my newsletter that I'm, I am that person with, and I'm going to text this brother, and I'm going to say something along the lines of, Hey brother, hope you're having a good day. What's going on with your day today? Have you been struggling in the last day or two with pornography? Have you visited a pornographic website? Have you masturbated? I'm going to ask him just like that. And and I have before, man. That's what that's the nature of the way that we keep one another accountable. And and he's honest with me and he's open with me and he doesn't have a problem confessing when he falters because we have developed that culture together and he knows it's okay to be vulnerable. And, and I would just love to see a day where we have more of that amongst our brothers and sisters. And maybe it is in, in other places and other congregations. And I know that that's an area that some places do really well and some places that's an area for growth. But I think, you know, that's an area we need to recognize how many people are struggling and then we need to, be like you said, vulnerable and open and, and lean on one another for accountability. Well, um, yeah, we did kind of get into the next one. It's very closely related. And that's, you know, when somebody does confess that they have a porn habit, um, they have difficulty overcoming this temptation. How should we react when they say, Hey Matt, I need, I need to talk to you. And they call you up and they, they're, they let it all out. What do you, how do you react and what do you tell them in that moment? This is the first time you're hearing it. So I'll tell you what I've done. And like I said, I'm not trying to, and I know Aaron feels like this too, but it doesn't matter who your accountability partner is or who that person is that you reach out. I know Aaron would be more than happy to receive that phone call. I would be more than happy to receive my phone call, that phone call. And if you did call me up, if I received that phone call, uh, I'd let him talk. I'd let him get it all out. Like you said, um, I'd first tell him I love you. And I think it's important to realize that because I know when I was struggling with it, I didn't feel like I deserved that. I felt like I was sinful and dirty and scum of the earth because of what I was involved in. And I withdrew from my friend's 
among God's people because that's how I felt. And so I want that brother to know that I love you and I'm, I'm glad that you called. I'm glad that you've told me that. And uh, how about we pray right now? Let's stop what we're doing and let's pray. Not only pray for forgiveness, but pray for courage and strength and wisdom. Pray for God to use the people in, in that brother or sister's life to help keep them accountable and keep them uh, repentant. Um, and then me personally, I'd probably, uh, there's a few, few Bible verses that I like to, to look at and, and talk to with them. And, you know, you take David was a man after God's own heart. He faltered in this area. And yet he was able to come back around and, and be a, a mighty, righteous king of Israel. And so that that would be my response to it. Yeah. Um, in how not to react, I might put it like when an older preacher told me, and it wasn't about pornography, like somebody confessing pornography. I don't know what it was, but I told this... Uh, older brother about a situation I was dealing with some, some Christian, I don't know if it was a man, woman who, but they had told me something recently and I just have one of the worst memories. Someone told me recently they thought I had early onset dementia and they were completely serious, but whatever it was, I had reacted, um, what I thought was probably not the best. I acted surprised and I kind of overreacted and, and this was years ago, but I was early on um, maturing as a teacher in the church and as a Christian in general. I mean, I was coming out of some of these things we're talking about even. I was maturing in many ways. And so I, I reacted um, and made that person feel like they wish they hadn't told me whatever they told me, <laughs> you know? And that was, I, I, I realized that after the time. Now, it must have been something that I had never thought somebody would ever do. It must've been something, you know, at that time I thought this is just crazy. And, and you're, there's things like if somebody came today, you know, and sorry, um, let's just say somebody came to you and said that they have a problem with bestiality. Okay. Now that's something that you would think, whoa, cause you can't, I can't get myself inside a, a person's head that would want to do that, you know? But if somebody comes to you and confesses that, you have to realize they're willing to confess this to me. What made them willing to do that? It must be some type of attitude that they actually are ashamed of what they're doing. They want to overcome it. So while as I may not be able to at all relate to what they're having to deal with, I need to be able to react to them in a way that makes them feel comfortable continuing to confess because they're going to commit the sin again these things don't die overnight, so they need to be able to feel like they can come to confess to me again when they do this again. But um, how you respond, it's called a poker face, and maybe that's not appropriate. <laughs> maybe that's a slang term I shouldn't use, a poker face. But it's acting like on the outside, um, not what you're feeling on the inside. And if what you feel is disgust, you can't demonstrate that on the outside. You have to let this person know that you do love them. And the way that you do love them is not to be like, whoa, this is crazy. I cannot believe that you are doing this. That's just going to shut them down and they're going to continue in their sin and it's just going to go from there. I agree 100%. And yeah, it's, and that, that, that is part of the, the confession culture is not... I don't think we should allow ourselves making sure I'm saying that right. You know, not allowing ourselves to be surprised, which if we understood how big of an issue this is, maybe we wouldn't be quite so, so surprised. And I'm not, I don't want to advocate to anybody that we just ignore it. Oh, that's okay. Everybody struggles with this, you know, no problem. No, it's still a sin brother. And, and when you, you commit yeah, it and yeah. you don't, uh, seek repentance and forgiveness, brother. Like that stands between you and God. It's a serious thing, but it's a serious thing that I'm so glad that you're asking for help with. And I want to do everything I can to help you. Let's do this together. Yeah. And you actually said something I wanted, I've been meaning to say this at some point. Um, what really gets on my nerves 
And I'll, <laughs> what really gets on my nerves is when we're talking about children in pornography and when are they're introduced to it. And people say about our culture, well, they're all going to see it. And, it's, and when people say that sometimes, they're acting like, well, there's nothing that we can do to prevent against it. Every kid's seen it. Um, and to be honest, I saw it when I was 9 or 10 years old. I can't remember the exact age. But just because they've seen it probably doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing everything we can in our power to protect them from this sin and to treat it and to um, not be indifferent about it. We're not trying to be indifferent about the subject when we're talking openly about it. You know, I, that's a good point. Um, you know, we, we think about like with our girls, you know, some parents take the idea that, well, you can't shield them from everything. You know what? I plan to shield my girls from as much as I can for as long as I can to make sure that whenever the time comes that they do have the, the choice, that they understand it enough to understand the consequences of it. And yeah, there's going to come a day where they have to make the choices on, on these and other matters dealing with sin and temptation, but I'm going to give them as long as I can to, to, to grow in that regard. Yeah, and uh, I think that's healthy, and also just educating in advance. As somebody, you know, I was talking to, there was a friend of mine that I went to high school with, and he was telling me about this subject, and I don't have a day dedicated to um, how do parents go about, um, you know, educating their children on sex and pornography and all this stuff at an early age, but, um, and I, I'm not advocating this page because I've not looked at it, but I am just saying maybe it's something worth looking at. Uh, this friend of mine, he said he, he follows an Instagram page called Birds and Bees. I did at least like the excerpt that he, he told me about it. He said um, that we all have this built-in sponge in our brain called the sexual interest. And um, when it's dry, it's never received any information whatsoever on sex, then it just absorbs super quickly and deeply the information that's first shared with it. And so if parents um, are talking to their children in healthy ways, age-appropriate ways about sex and then you know later pornography and all that, so that the first thing that sponge takes in is healthy information, um, biblically um, literate information about these subjects, then in, whenever the false information comes, it's less likely to soak into the sponge because it's no longer dry. It's a, it's a wet sponge now, and it just slides off of it. I, I thought that was interesting. Now, I'm not saying I have the no on teaching your children about these subjects. I definitely do not, but he's spent a lot of time looking into it, and I thought that at least the illustration I thought was pretty helpful and made a lot of sense. But, yeah. Well, I, I know we're wrapping up on time here. I've got two scriptures I was hoping to read real quick relating to yeah. Yeah, dealing with people that, you know, when people open and, and show some vulnerability and, and confess their sins. First one's Colossians 3, uh, verses 12 through 13. The Bible, and these are familiar. I uh, just wanted to bring some attention to it and meditate on it. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I love that passage because it, it, it brings on tender mercies and kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and bearing and forgiving one another, bearing with one another's burdens and, and forgiveness. And I think that's a huge aspect of of building a culture of vulnerability and confession. The other one is um, Ephesians 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I think those are both good things to keep in mind when people choose to choose you to be the one that they confess their sins to. Amen. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation, Matt. Um, we talked about more than I anticipated, but that's what happens when you have a good conversation. If it was a bad conversation, it would just be very dry and <laughs> be over in about 20 minutes. But we actually went well over the time that I 
originally planned, but you know what? Um, I'm okay with that. We're just going to release the whole hour and I think it'll be helpful. I think people will appreciate our conversation. You know, early on, you said that we could have stopped the conversation right there. And I was a little upset that I decided to charge you hourly instead of salary, but now I'm okay. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm uh, including this on my monthly expenses for the church. <laughs> J- joking, joking. Uh, well, anyways, I appreciate you taking your time and I appreciate the work that you do uh, in this area and in general. Um, if if you don't know Matt, Matt uh, from Iowa, I don't know if you mentioned you're in Waterloo, Iowa, right? Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah, if y'all don't know Matt, um, then reach out to him. Let Matt know that you appreciate what he had to share. He, Like I said, you were very vulnerable. I took a lot of guts to say that over a recorded podcast that will be around for the end of time. So let Matt know that you appreciate what he had to say, um, and that is an encouragement. Um, so I, I encourage you all to reach out by social media. You have Facebook, Instagram, is that right? Facebook, I don't really use Instagram. Okay, but you can find him on there. So I guess that'll end our conversation. you have anything, last thing you want to say? If it can help one person, it's been worth it. And I know that's true with this entire outreach that you're, you're, or this project that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely true. Okay, well, we'll give that a wrap, and we'll talk to you later, Matt. See you, man. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Matt as much as I did. He's a good guy. Uh, he's doing a great work, and I appreciate him coming on. Again, I want to encourage you to subscribe to the newsletter now while you're thinking about it or you'll forget. And if you really want to help with this project, a lot of people have said, thank you for doing this. If you really are thankful, if you really want to help, the best thing that you can do is share this on social media. Let other people know about it. You don't know who's struggling with this and you don't know who might be able to take this information and help somebody that is struggling with it. So please share, subscribe yourself and join the team. If you're now on the team, I'm glad to have you. Glad to be working with you. I'm going to be doing other podcast episodes throughout the newsletter, the 30-day newsletter. This one I wanted to release early to get the word out there about the newsletter um, to help promote it. But the other ones will be released um, as scheduled throughout that newsletter. I'm going to have Jonathan Edwards on. I'm also going to have Kellen Owen and perhaps another mystery guest. Thanks for listening. You're on the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast.